Friday morning, I got up early and started to seek the Lord about our time together in the Word. And, you know, we've been in this series over the last several weeks called No Greater Love. And, man, I got some good stuff on that Friday, excited about it, just seeing some things that I believe you and I need to see and need to hear. And then I got up Saturday, and I started seeking the Lord. And this was early Saturday morning, and I was thinking about our offering time together. And if you were here last week when I came to you via video screen about our offering, I told you the Lord had instructed me to spend the next several weeks getting stirred up on the inside about, who remembers? Extra. Extra. I knew Maceo would know it. Somebody say extra. And Saturday morning, I sat on the couch just looking at this and looking at it and looking at it. And the more I looked at it, the bigger it got on the inside. And I thought, Lord, I got like a few minutes for the offering. And it just grew and it grew and it grew until it became the whole word for today. And we're just going to flow with the spirit of God here. We are not done talking about no greater love. Uh, I don't know that we could ever be done with it. But we interrupt this regularly scheduled series to bring you a special report today. We're going to keep talking about extra this morning. And this is the way I got it in my heart. We're just going to spend some time talking about it together. Then we'll give at the end of our service today. And this whole time will be about this offering and, and, and the, the spirit of faith that we give with today. And, and listen to me. You know me well enough by now to know this is not some effort to get something else out of you. Not at all. Just doing it the way the Lord said do it. And I believe it's very significant that we're talking about it right now, stepping into a season of increase and extra, because that's the time we're in. This holiday time for a lot of people, you see it coming and it's like this half excitement and this half dread about how much all this fun stuff's gonna cost. And I don't want you going in to this holiday season with any fear in you at all. No fear whatsoever. No, No dread about coming short, no dread about running out. I want you going into this with great expectation that our God is a God of increase. I said our God is a God of increase. And I want you stirred up about extra. And uh, one of the things that really that lit this fire on the inside of me, again, even after talking to you about it last, last week, Sarah and I, in our own personal lives, had released faith together for some very specific things that would require some extra. And I'm here to tell you this morning, glory to God, it came. We stepped into it just this past week and just a few days ago, some extra came. And I want to start hearing your testimonies about it because I know it's coming. Extra is coming. And when you start looking through the scriptures with that in mind, you start realizing it's all the way through this thing because this is the character. This is the nature. This is the DNA of our God. He's a God of too much. Sarah talked to you last week about that table that he has prepared before you. Talked about all those wonderful things that are on that table. But do you remember what's going on with that cup? He's filling that cup. Is he filling it halfway? Three quarters? All the way. No, what? It overflows. You anoint my head with oil and my, say it with me, my cup overflows. Don't you think God would know how much the cup can hold? Don't you think he would understand? God, you're spilling it everywhere. But never one time has he said, oh, my bad. I'm sorry. What a mess I've made. No. I mean, think about That little boy's lunch, I'm sure we'll talk some about this in the weeks to come. But it fed 5,000 people, or more, that was just the men, so 5,000 men plus women plus children. And the Bible says that every one of them ate till they were full, and then there was extra. Then there was excess. Doesn't God know when everybody's full? Well, what's his deal? What's his problem? It's not his problem. It's ours. It's the capacity. God's going, hey, I got more where this comes from. Don't blame me if your cup's not big enough. What about filling up a boat full of fish? Wouldn't God know when it's too many fish? Jesus, you're sinking the thing. And what's Jesus saying? Hey, don't blame me. Your boat's too small. This is just who he is. This is his nature. So I want to talk more about this today. Go to the book of John chapter 10. This is what we looked at in our offering time last week. And this is the verse we started this whole year with. Because this is the year. This is the end 
of sickness, disease, poverty, lack. This is the end of coming short. This is the end of running out. This is the end of depression, oppression. And it's the beginning of what? Life more abundantly. And it seems fitting to me that we start the year with this and we begin to wrap this year up with this. John chapter 10, verse 10, the words of Jesus. He said, the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. But Jesus draws this line between him and the thief. In other words, he's saying, don't get us confused. If it's stealing, killing, destroying, Jesus is saying what? I didn't do it. Don't blame me for it. And yet that's happening every day. It's happening all over the world. Things are being stolen from people. Death is occurring. Destruction is occurring. And at the end of the day, people are going, well, I don't know why, but God in his sovereignty. What's Jesus saying? No, no, you got it wrong. That was the thief. I'm not the thief. Who's Jesus? He said, I have come. He's the one that's come that you would have life and have it how? More abundantly. Other translations say to the full until it overflows. That's the kind of life that he came to give you. And like we talked about before, this word abundantly literally means more than, more than enough. It's not just enough and it's not just more than enough. It's more than, more than enough. Super abundant. It means beyond. It literally means excessive. And man, that's where that old religious spirit just gets super uncomfortable. You start talking about excess and people don't want to be associated with that. But listen to me. These are the words of Jesus. And I don't know what you grew up under. I don't know what you heard for all your life leading up to this. But would you at least be open to the words of Jesus? Even if it was a different way than you thought in your past. Can you be open to it? He said, this is the kind of life I came to give you. And that word life is a big word. It covers everything in life. He didn't isolate one thing. He didn't say, I want you to have more than enough here, but not enough here. Because to have too much here would not be my will. This is my will, but not that. He just used the word life. So anything that pertains to life, anything that you need in this life, Jesus came to give you that and more than, more than enough of that. Excessive. Now, the big thing we're pressing into in this season is not just the extra, but the assignment on it. This is what makes us different from a lot of people. We live with an assignment mindset. Mindset. What is the assignment? Where is it designated? You know, we do this week after week in the church. I give you opportunity to sow, and many of you sow into the general operations of the church. Many of you sow into the projects of the church. Or if we're doing something or giving to something specific, if you designate it towards that, I am, we are, as a ministry, required by law to put it there. Because that's where it was designated. If I start taking something that was meant for this and using it for that, that's a misappropriation of funds. Would you agree with that? Yes. Would you agree that it would be wrong for me to take the stuff you gave to God and take it for myself? Would that be wrong? Yes. That would be a misappropriation of funds because they were designated or assigned to this. Well, what about your stuff? Huh? What about what's been brought into your hand that has an assignment on it? Find out what the assignment is. And I'm telling you, church, we're coming into this season right now. And the big assignment on what's coming into our hands, the first thing on our minds should be, Lord, is this somebody's blessing? Is this somebody I'm supposed to help with? No, not everything that comes in is supposed to be a seed. You're going, hey, what? what? No, find out what the assignment is. Some things are assigned to sow. Some things are assigned for spending. Some things are assigned for saving. What is saving? Well, that's where you put it till you know what to do. Do I sow or spend? It's a different mindset. Find out what the assignment is on the extra. 
okay? Back up in this same chapter in John chapter 10 and look at what Jesus said in connection to this. In verse 3, and in all these verses, Jesus is revealing himself and identifying himself as the good shepherd. And he's talking about the shepherd here in verse 3, and he says to him, or to, to the shepherd, the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, now listen to this, and he leads them out. He leads them out. This is one of the big assignments on the life and the ministry of Jesus. This is what he went to work doing in your life and mine, day one. The day you called on him as your Lord, the day you made him your savior, this is what he went to work doing. Being your good shepherd, calling you by your name. Yes, Jesus knows your name. Jesus, Jesus has never looked at you and said, wait a second, hold on, don't tell me. No, he knows your name. He's more than just good with faces. He knows your name. Somebody say it. He knows my name. That may sound like a little thing, but that's intimacy. That's relationship. That's fellowship. He knows your name and he calls you by your name. And then what does he do? He leads you out. Out of what? Out of whatever you're in that you need out of. Jesus is the good shepherd who calls you by your name and leads you out of that mess, leads you out of that trash. Even if you're the one that got yourself into it, he's still a faithful good shepherd to call you by your name and lead you out. Somebody say he's leading me out. This is what he went to work doing day one. You made him your Lord and Savior and he began leading you out right there, leading you out of sin, leading you out of darkness, leading you out of sickness, leading you out of depression, leading you out of shortage and lack. But here's the thing. He never leads you out without simultaneously doing what? Leading you in. He didn't just lead you out of sin. He led you out of sin and into his righteousness. How were you made the righteousness of God? All your good works? No. Mm -mm. You were made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Because he who knew no sin was made to be sin so that we could be made the righteousness of God. How did we get into that? Well, Jesus had to lead you out of something to lead you into that. He didn't just lead you out of darkness. He led you out of darkness so that he might lead you into the light. We have been translated out of the kingdom of darkness. I believe it's Ephesians that says this and into the kingdom of light, the kingdom of his dear son, out of darkness, into light. You've been led out of sickness and into healing. You have been led out of death itself. And into life. Jesus did that. Jesus did that. He's your good shepherd who knows your name. He's called you by your name. And he's doing what? Leading you out. Leading you out. Leading you out. Leading you out of shortage. Leading you out of lack. Leading you out of not enough. That he might lead you into extra. More than enough. Spirit, soul, and body, materially, financially, in every area of life, because that's what Jesus came to give you, more than enough life. You see this all the way back in the book of Exodus. You don't have to turn there. You can just listen to this. But in Exodus chapter 2, you remember that God's people, the children of Israel, had been in the land of Egypt. And sometimes I think we get the impression... Um, that it was one way for them there. That for centuries and centuries, they're, they're nothing but broke down, broke, backed people just under that weight of slavery. But the Bible says something that I don't think we uh, make enough out of. In Exodus chapter 1, 
It says in verse 8, there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, this is the king of Egypt. This is Pharaoh saying something to his people. He said, look, the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we are. Who's saying that? The king of Egypt, the greatest, most prosperous, most advanced civilization on the planet at the time is looking at God's people saying, what about them? They are more and they are mightier than we are. You don't really get that impression, do you, in the, in the children's church version of the, the children of Israel coming out of Egypt, in the Hollywood version. You don't, you don't see that. And yet, what's happening is God's people are prospering in a place they got no business prospering in. I said, it's God's people living, thriving in a place where naturally speaking, should not be surviving, should not be thriving, should not be prospering. And yet they are. And it was because of that that the king of Egypt said in verse 10, come, let's deal shrewdly with them lest they multiply. He's worrying about these people growing. And he said, and it happened in the event of war that they also join our enemies and fight against us. Now listen to these words. And so go up out. Somebody say out. He's, he's afraid of these people who are more and mightier than them turning on them, fighting against them, and leaving them. He's afraid they're getting out. Are you hearing me? Can I just jump ahead here for a second? The devil's still terrified of it. He is so afraid of you coming out of whatever's been binding you. Whatever's kept you small, whatever's kept you down, whatever's kept you bound, your enemy is so terrified of you coming out of that thing. And today, guess what? You're coming out. I'm telling you in Jesus' name, something's happening in this church this morning. We're coming out. We are coming out. He said, lest they, lest they go up out of this land. So what they do? They, they set these taskmasters over them to afflict them with their burdens. And they built for Pharaoh supply cities, Pithom and Ramses. But look at verse 12. The more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied. Again, you, you don't get this version unless you're looking at the Bible. The more they pressed them, the more they pressured them, the more they tried to keep them bound, the more they multiplied, the more they grew. And they were in dread of the children of Israel. This great and mighty civilization with the greatest army in the world is afraid of this bunch because they're growing and they're multiplying and they're getting stronger. Verse 13, so the Egyptians made the children of Israel serve with rigor. Now, this is kind of phase two of the plan, if you will. Phase one was this taskmaster thing, but it didn't work. Phase two, it says, made them serve with rigor. This word literally means cruelty in an effort to break them. Cruelty in an effort to break them down physically. So what started as just making them work has turned into making them work with an unreasonable expectation, cruelty, and an effort to break them, break the back, break the body down. It says they made their work bitter with hard bondage and mortar and brick and all the manner of service in the field. All their service in which they made them serve was with rigor. Now, you know most of the rest of the story, and I'm not going to take time to read it, but that didn't even work. Everything they're trying is backfiring. So they get to this next phase of the plan, and Pharaoh says, here's what we're going to do. We're going to kill the babies. Every child, every male child from age two and under we're going to kill them. How disgusting, huh? I mean, to think that the head of a government 
would sanction the slaughter of innocent children. And you might think, wow, how barbaric, how ancient, what a, what a cruel and severe way of thinking. Man, I'm glad nobody thinks that way anymore. What's happening? Satan is terrified of these people coming out. And when he couldn't break them down, he couldn't break them down with labor. He couldn't even break them down when the labor got ridiculous and unreasonable. This is what he went after. He went after the soul of a nation. And you know what? It almost worked. I mean, I can't even begin to imagine the cry and the scream and the terror that was going throughout the land of the children of Israel as their baby boys were being ripped from their arms. And it was in that time, the Bible says their cry. Really, this is the first time they began to cry. Their cry came up before the Lord. He came up before the Lord. And, and later on, he told Moses, I have come down and I have seen what the Egyptians are doing to my people. And you know the whole story, how he introduced himself to Moses and, and he called him and he told him, you're going to go. But listen to the words he gave Moses. He said, I'm sending you. And this was Moses' whole assignment on his whole life. Now stop right here. When God introduced himself to Moses, Moses had just been living for 40 years on the backside of a desert, shepherding sheep. Now, I don't care what you do. You do it for 40 years, you're bound to get good at it, right? So if Moses has been a shepherd for 40 years, what kind of shepherd could you assume that he is now? A good shepherd. What did we read about Jesus in John 10? He is the good shepherd who calls you by your name and does what? Leads you out. You know what God told Moses? You go get my people and you tell them, I'm bringing them out. Out of the affliction of the Egyptians. You tell them I'm bringing them out. That was the whole word. That was the entirety of the word. Tell them I'm bringing them out. Moses said, okay. He goes in there. He meets with the elders of the children of Israel and said, the Lord has heard you cry. He's come down. He's walked among you. He's seen what the Egyptians have done. He's seen your affliction and he's bringing you out. And the Bible says they worshiped and they praised God. Why? They got a word. We're getting out of this place. But when it didn't happen like Monday by 10 a.m., they all came back to Moses and said, what are you doing? It just got worse. You went to Pharaoh and said, let him go. And he said, I ain't letting him go. I'm making it worse. And Pharaoh, he didn't even know what he was saying. In the book of Exodus, he said, he said to Moses, you make the people cease from their labor. You make them rest. Oh, he didn't even know. He was just painting a picture of Jesus right there. And he said, I'm not letting them go. I'll make their work harder. And so when the people got mad at Moses, Moses said, one second. He went and talked to God and said, now what do I do? He's not letting them go. Everybody's mad. What do I say? You know what God said? Tell them I'm bringing them out. And it's like, well, I already told them that. I ain't changing it. It's still the word. I'm bringing them out. Go tell them, go. Okay. And so he goes back and he says, I talked to God. Here's the deal. He's bringing you out. I'm like, that's what she said last time. But help me out. Did it happen? You know it happened. And you know it happened in a big way. God did not sneak these people out under the cover of a foggy night. Man, he brought them out with fireworks. He brought them out with an exclamation mark. He brought them out of affliction. He brought them out of not enough. But it wasn't just to bring them out. What did he tell Moses? Tell them I'm bringing them out so that I might take them in to this promised land. And what is the promised land? The land of just enough? All the way to the full. No. The land of more than, more than enough. A land that flows, he said, with milk and with honey. So this is what the Lord is saying to us this morning. You're coming out of Egypt. I said, you're coming out of Egypt. 
you've got a word today. And it's the same word. You go tell him I'm bringing him out. But he's not just bringing you out to bring you into the ether. No, he's, he's bringing you in. And I'm stirred up, church. I mean, we're in it right now. We're coming in to more than enough. Coming in to extra. Somebody say, I'm coming out of Egypt. Thank you, Lord. Now look with me in the New Testament, the book of Philippians. Forgive me if I get a little preachy. I preached just a few weeks ago at the Bible school up here in Woodland Park, uh, up at Karis, and some of these things the Lord had me touch on. And I'm going to get back into it today. I know we've got several students in there, so if you were in there that morning, just act like you've never heard it. In Philippians chapter 4, you're familiar with some of these verses, but you really need to understand the context that they're in. This is Paul, of course, writing by the Spirit of God, but writing to a church in response to an offering. These people had sent him an offering, and this was his partner letter in response to that. And he said in Philippians chapter 4, verse 10, he said, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again. He's talking about that offering. Though surely you did care, but you lacked opportunity. This is what extra is. It's opportunity. If you're living in the land of not enough, then you really don't have the opportunity to be a blessing to somebody else. You don't have the opportunity to enrich somebody else. And there's more we could talk about even with the children of Israel and their story. You, you know how it went. Of course, they got out, but, but Pharaoh changed his mind and he's chasing them down and they step up to the Red Sea and they've got the Red Sea in front of them and Pharaoh and his army coming up after them. And it's, it looks like, you know, we're going to die drowning or die fighting these guys. This is pressure. I said, this is pressure. Learn to identify the enemy's pressure. And most of the time it comes like this. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? And you look at all your choices and one looks bad and the other looks worse. That's pressure. And these are some of Satan's most used words. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Option A, option B, one or two. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? It's like, well, if I do this one, I die. And if I do that one, I die. And that's the position that these people were in. But when you and I press into this extra, this overflow of provision that we know is in the character and the nature of our God, it is opportunity created for us to go and watch this. Step in between somebody and what's putting pressure on them. That's what that cloud did for the children of Israel. It came between them and the army of Egypt. What does that do? It, it, it relieves that pressure. When you're operating in extra and there's increase coming to you and, and the Lord directs you, hey, go put a little bit in this one's hand. I want you to buy some presents for this family. I want you to, I want you to sow into this one over here. You may not realize what you're doing, but you are coming between them and whatever's putting pressure on them. That's being used by God. And you don't get that opportunity until you're operating in extra. That's the assignment on the increase. So he said, I know you love me. I know you cared for me. You just lacked opportunity. Now notice this in verse 11. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how, he said, to be abased. I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. He's saying, I've learned how to do this. And because he learned how, he said, I know how. Now, know how, we've talked about this in times past, but know how in any area of life is valuable. You can get paid if you got some know how. Do you realize that? You can get paid if you've got some know-how. Who, who pays the people with the know-how? The people that don't know-how. 
I know we got a lot of guys in here, and if something goes wrong with a car or a truck, man, you got some know-how. And you can pop the hood on that thing, and you can diagnose the problem, and you can fix it. You got your hands on the parts and the equipment and the tools, and bada bing, bada boom, it's better, it's fixed. Why? Because you got some know-how. Then you got guys like me. And if something goes wrong, guess what I got to do? I got to find you. I got to go find somebody with some know-how and somebody with some know-how says to somebody without some know-how, this is how much my know-how is going to cost you. (laughs) And you can have know-how in any area, any arena of life. And it's valuable. It's precious. But of all the know-how, this, this is the know-how that's most valuable. He said, I know how to be abased. I know how to abound. Why? Because I learned it. He said, I learned how to do it. Now, to be abased, the word literally means just to come short, to not have enough. And you'll see here in just a moment, this is the financial condition Paul was in. This guy that the Spirit of God used to write two-thirds of the New Testament was tight. He was running out. What am I saying to you? If you've been there or are there, No condemnation. Don't start beating yourself up just because you got a little more month than money left. Hey, we've all been there. Paul was there and he wrote about it. And it's in the Bible for all men, for all time to see it. At least nobody's writing about your stuff. We've been there. So there's no condemnation about it. Don't beat yourself up about it anymore. Just look to the word. And if you are abased, you need to learn how to do it. And you're going, yeah, I don't need to know any more about how to do that. I got that. No, listen to me. Just because you are that doesn't mean you know how to be that. Many, many people are living in that state. You notice he said that? No matter what state I'm in. A lot of people are living in that state, the state of abased. And they've been living there for a long time. And they think that just living there has taught them everything they need to know about living there. And they're just ready to get out. But just because you're in that state doesn't mean you know how to do it. And right on the other hand, even if you're living in a, a state of abundance where all these needs are met and you're just overflowing, doesn't mean you know how to do that God's way. It takes some know-how. And here's the key to both of them. Whatever state you're in, you do them both by faith. You do them both in faith. And if you're short, if you're running out, if you're lacking something, you live in that state and you do it by faith, in faith, knowing this is not God's ultimate best. This is not where he destined me to live. And I'm on a road trip. I am leaving this state and I'm headed for that one. You do it by faith. You do it with some expectation. But even if you're in that state where I said, like I said a second ago, where it looks like every material thing and every need is met, still in that state, you live there by faith. You, You look at what you have and you say, God, if it weren't for you, if it weren't for your goodness and your faithfulness and your mercy, oh my God, your mercy, your mercy, your mercy, your mercy, your mercy. I don't have anything that you didn't add to me. And I give you praise and thanks for all of it. You're living in in this state or that one, but you're doing them by faith. Now, right after this, Paul said, I have learned in whatever state I'm in to be content. And then in the next verse, here is the key. Here's that great secret to all his know-how. You want to know what it is? Verse 13, I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. Now, you've been quoting that verse. You've been wearing it on T-shirts. You've been putting it on bumper stickers. You've been drinking out of a mug that says it. And you had no idea he was talking about your finances. This whole thing's about this, this financial state he was in. And he said, no matter what state I'm in, I can do it. How, Paul? How do you exist in these states? I can do all things through this anointing. The anointed one and his anointing that strengthens me. Strengthens me. But look at what happened as you go on here. He said, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. Verse 14, nevertheless, you've done well 
that you shared in my distress. Do you see that up there? He said, you've done well that you shared in my distress. Some translations use the word affliction. Now, what did God tell Moses? Tell them I'm bringing them out of affliction. This word distress or translated affliction, it's a Greek word that literally means straits. S-T-R-A-I-T-S, straits. It, 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 refers to, it refers to water, a body of water that is wide and expansive, but it narrows down between two pieces of land that stick out into it and it creates a straight. Are you familiar with that? It narrows down. It's a tight little, little body of water that, that straightens out, I guess you could say. It, it's the same thing, the same concept as a, a straight jacket. Are you familiar with that concept? Not too familiar, I, I see. <laughs> but what is that? It's something that they put on a person to restrict, to bind them up, to restrict their mobility, to restrict their freedom. It's the same word. And it's the word he used to describe the financial condition he was in. Straight or tight. Now, do I have any honest people in church this morning that would raise a hand and say, been there? When, financially, I'm speaking, I'm talking about when it's just been a little tight. You ever experienced that before? Thank you, honest folks. I have too. We have too. It's just been a little tight, a little, little restrictive. Well, what does that mean? It means you, you don't have that freedom. Folks, they don't call it debt freedom for no reason. It's freedom. It's the ability to move. It's the ability to do. It's the ability to bless. He said, this is the shape I was in when you gave to me. That afflicted, restricted, distressed, tight state. He said, you did well. You shared with me when I was in that distress. In verse 15, now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only for even in Thessalonica. You sent aid once and again to my necessities, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Verse 18, indeed, I have all and, come on, I have all and, Abound. What kind of life did Jesus come to give you? Life more, same word, to the full till it overflows. Paul is saying, I was restricted. I was afflicted. It was tight. You did something about it. You gave. And what it did was filled me up. I have all, he said, I am full and I abound. This man, this man went from one state to another in a day. In one offering, in one gift from these people, he was in the state of abased and he went road tripping out of that state to the state of abounding. I have all, I'm full, I abound. Glory to God. I'm telling you again this morning, you're coming out. You're coming out of Egypt. You're coming out of this state of abased. You are coming out of not enough and you are coming into more than, more than enough. Extra. Somebody shouted out, extra, extra. Read all about it right here in the word of God. You can read all about it, but back up a couple of verses. I want to show you how I believe he gets out of this and how you and I get out of any restrictive state. Uh, verse 10 again, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. Your care for me has flourished. Verse 11, not that I speak in regard to need. This is one of, I believe the big keys to coming out of not enough. Watch how much speaking you're doing about the need. Watch out over how much talking you do about what you don't have. Now, if you start to listen for it, you might surprise yourself. You might realize, man, I've been doing a lot of talking about this. Be watchful over it, especially husbands and wives in the home. Be watchful, guard, set a watch over your mouth. And say, Lord, help me see this. If I've been talking about this need, help me see it. Well, what's the problem with talking the need? 
The more you talk about something, the more you magnify it. The more thought you give to, more, give to it, the more words you give to it, the more you magnify it. Now, you might think when you magnify something, it gets bigger. But like we've said so many times before, when you magnify something, it doesn't actually get bigger. It just gets bigger in your eyes. That's what magnification does. You put a magnifying glass on the words of this page. These words don't actually change size. They just get bigger to you. They just get bigger in your eyes or in the way you see it. And the more you do, the more talking you do about what we don't have. Oh, we're running out. Oh, are we going to have enough to pay this bill, to meet this need? Oh, my goodness, Christmas is coming. Have you seen the kids' list? They wrote it back in July, and it's done nothing but get bigger since then. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? We don't have enough. And if you're coming into this season in fear, talking about what you don't have, you're magnifying it. Now, it's not actually getting bigger. The need is not actually getting bigger. It's just getting bigger to you. It's being magnified in your eyes and in your mind and in your heart. And you can magnify something to the point where it takes up your entire field of vision and you see nothing else. You wake up with the need on your mind coming out of your mouth. You go about your day with the need coming out of your mouth. Oh, I wish we could do that. Just, nah, we just don't have it. Just can't afford it. Just can't afford it. Just can't afford it. If you've been saying that, stop it. Don't let those words come out of your mouth again. Now, I'm not telling you to pretend it doesn't exist, that the need doesn't exist. But there's no sense in magnifying it. Acknowledge it, recognize it. Yep, I see that need. What are we going to do about that? Well, here's what we do about it. We get something else coming out of our mouth. We change what we're saying about it. And this is what we're endeavoring to lead you in on a weekly basis. We make this confession over our giving every single week. We are prospering in every area of our life, spirit, soul, and body, right? We will have more than enough. You hear those words? We're going to have more than enough. That's the answer to the question. Will we have enough? What's the answer? No. We're going to have more than enough. That's the kind of life Jesus came to give us. We're not running out. What are we doing? Running over. Now, even if it doesn't look like that, these are the words that should be coming out of your mouth. And you're not trying to live in denial. You're just acknowledging that even though there's a need, I have a provider. And he's greater than the need. He's bigger than the need. And greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. What are you doing? You're talking something else magnifying the Lord. Come magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. We can do that in church, but you better be doing it in your house. When the pressure is on and the bills are stacked and the need is greater than it's ever been, husbands, that is not the time to lead your family into despair. That's the time to step up, invite everybody to your praise party and y'all just begin magnifying the Lord. Family, we're just going to praise the Lord here for a little bit. What are we praising the Lord for, Daddy? Oh, he's so good to us. He's our, he's our provider. He's our healer. And you're leading the kids. And they're going, okay, sounds good to me. You got little puppet kids, you know. And, and, and you're leading the family in praise and in worship and in magnifying the Lord. And you, and you gather around that need as a family. And you say, guys, look, there's this need that we have. And, and we're going to hold this before the Lord right now. And we're going to ask him to see it. And we're going to sow and we're going to believe God that, that he, he sees the need and there's extra coming to this house. That's getting something else in your mouth. Not that I speak in regard to need. Watch how much talking you're doing about the need. Musicians, you guys begin to come. Go back to the book of Psalms with me quickly. I want to finish with this. Psalm 18. You're looking for Psalm 18. Let me read you something out of Psalm 118. You go to Psalm 18. But Psalm 118 says in verse 5, I called on the Lord. Notice this on the screen here. I called on the Lord when? In distress. 
Now, this is a Hebrew word translated distress, but guess what? It means the exact same thing. This is the position and the place David was in. He said, I called on the Lord in distress. The Lord answered me and set me in a broad place. So it was tight, but I called on him. Now, this is what I want you to see as we wrap this up. He said, I called on the Lord. Why is that important? Because whoever you call on, you are immediately limited to what they can do for you. So when you're in this place of distress, when you're in Egypt, in affliction, and it's tight, who are you going to call? Because your first call is the most important one. Because whoever you call on right then, what you are acknowledging is they are your source. And you'll be limited to whatever they can do for you. And you got to watch out for this church. You got to watch out for this. That you don't. Help me say it, Lord. That you don't cross over the line into manipulating something out of somebody else's pocket into yours. It's a dangerous thing. When you know somebody or you're acquainted with somebody who's got some means, who's got some material uh, wealth or something, or maybe all you know is they got more than what you got. And you go to them and it may not look like you just going with a handout saying, hey, can I have that? But watch out for things like, you know, turning on the waterworks and the tears and the, hey, I just need you to believe with me. Now, you can ask somebody to believe with you, but if you're doing it motivated by getting something from them, that's called manipulation. And even as a minister, this is one of the greatest things I have to watch out for as a minister, and any minister does, in my life. I could stand here, two people could stand here, one minister and another, preach the same words, read the same scriptures, but the one who says it in an effort to get something to you is a minister. The one who says it in an effort to get something from you is a manipulator. And the only difference between the two is motivation. You couldn't even look at what they said just on that basis and be able to tell the difference. It would have to be the heart. And that's why this is where God is looking, the heart. And most of you know this about my family. Man, I come from an awesome ministry family, a family who the Lord has blessed in every imaginable way. And my grandparents, Kenneth and Gloria Copeland, are people who have lived this stuff, preached this stuff. And what you've seen preached on TV, it's been preached to me in the living room. It's been preached to me laying down at night. It's been preached to me getting up in the morning. And this is the way we lived our lives. And the fruit of it that you see, a lot of people just say, ah, oh, that rich preacher. Or could it be this stuff works? Hmm? Could it be that this stuff really works? But as blessed as they are and as, as rich as the Lord has made them, Sarah and I made a decision early in our ministry. They are not our source. And I had to make that decision because I know the man. I know the woman. And I know they would very gladly give me whatever it is I needed. But because of that reason alone, we made the decision, I'm not calling Papa. When the need is great, it would be so easy to pick up the phone and just say, Papa, I need you to believe with me. Uh-oh, uh-oh, watch out. That's code for, I need you to give me. Now, he would stand in agreement with us. Absolutely, he would. But I got to check my motivation. Because whoever I call on is my source. And as much as Papa can do for me, as much as he would love to do for me, he can't do anything compared to what Jesus can do, wants to do, is willing to do for me. 
And I don't care if Oprah is your aunt or your grandmother is the queen of England. They can't do for you what Jesus has done, can do, will do for you. But you got to call him. I said, you have to call him. He has to be the call. It cannot be. The bank cannot be the first call. The family cannot be the first call. The first call has got to go to God because that is acknowledging him as the source. Now, every step from there, let it be led by him and he will lead you. There are, there are folks that he will lead you to talk to that he knows will not be pressured or manipulated into giving to you, but they will stand in agreement with you and you'll be the result of this power of agreement miracle, but you've got to be led. Not everybody needs to know what the need is. Can I say it again? Not everybody needs to know what the need is. When he's the first call, then you be led after that. Psalm 18, did you find that? I want you to notice in this psalm, what happens when you call him first? This is so powerful. I will never forget the first time and place I saw this in the scripture. I was sitting in a hotel room in South Africa with my brother Jordan. And we were getting ready for service that night. And I don't know how other than the spirit of God turning the pages of my Bible. I landed right here and I got so fired up. I got so excited about this and I have preached this to people there. I've preached it in places around the world. I preached it a couple of weeks ago up the road at Karis. And I got to tell you, I, I'm still hungry to find a group of people that see it this way, that, that catch the revelation of what will happen when you call God before anybody else. Now that, that group of students up there the other day, they got pretty fired up about it. I'm not trying to compare the two, but get ready. Are you ready? Listen to this. Psalm 18. Notice what David said in verse four. The pangs of death surrounded me. And does that sound like pressure? Does that sound like restricted, afflicted, tight? The pangs of death surrounded me. The floods of ungodliness made me afraid. The sorrows of Sheol, this is hell itself, surrounded me. The snares of death confronted me. Verse 6, and in my, my what? My distress. It was tight in every way. Affliction, tightness. In my distress, I called Papa. Huh? In my distress, I called the lawyer. In my distress, I called the banker. In my distress, I called the doctor. Now, I'm not saying there's not a time and place to talk to these folks, but what am I telling you? Who do you call? In my distress, I called the Lord and cried out to my God. Now look at the rest of this verse. Keep going. He heard. What did, what did the Bible say about the cry of the, the, the children of Israel in Egypt? Their cry came up before him. Why? Because they're calling on him. He heard me. It wasn't just me crying. It was me talking to him. There's a difference between a cry and a cry of faith. And God knows the difference. My cry came before him, even to his ears. Now look at verse 7. The next several verses we're about to read is what happens when you are in distress, you are afflicted, it's tight at your house, You've been living in the land of abased and not enough. This is what happens when you call your father. Are you ready? This is what happens. Then the earth shook. Papa can't do that. Whoever you know that's rich and famous cannot do that. You call on the Lord and what happens? The earth shook and trembled. 
the foundations of the hills also quaked and were shaken. Keep going. Why? Because he was angry. What's he so mad about? This is how he feels about what's keeping you tight. This is how he feels about what's afflicting you and restricting you. This is how he feels about his child being suffocated under a growing burden of debt. He's not okay with it. As a matter of fact, he gets angry about it. He was angry. What's the next verse say? <laughs> Smoke went up from his nostrils. Devouring fire from his mouth. Why? Why? Because you called him. Because you made him your first call. This is his response. Keep going. Coals were kindled by it. What else does it say? He bowed the heavens also. Came down with darkness underneath his feet. It says in verse 10, he rode upon a cherub and flew. He flew upon the wings of the wind. He made darkness his secret place. His canopy around him was dark waters and thick clouds of the skies. From the brightness before him, his thick clouds passed with hailstones and coals of fire. Why? Because you called him. That's why. Because you were restricted and afflicted and tight and you called him. And the Lord, verse 13, thundered from heaven. And the Most High uttered his voice, hailstones and coals of fire. He sent out his arrows and scattered the foe, lightnings in abundance, and he vanquished them. The channels of the sea were seen. The foundations of the world were uncovered at the rebuke, at your rebuke, O Lord, at the blast of the breath of your nostrils. Verse 16, he sent from above... He took me. Are you ready? Looks like you're still sitting down. I can't tell. You may want to get a little loose for this. He sent from above. He took me. Now say this with me. He drew me out. He got me out. Out of what? Out of that distress. Out of that restriction. Out of that affliction. Out of that tightness. Well, it was tight in your spirit, soul, body, materially, financially. You called him and he said, baby, I'm coming. And the earth began to shake and the hills began to quake and were trembled. And all of a sudden there's fire and smoke and hailstones and lightning. Now, I don't know if any of this showed up in the natural or if it was just to David. Like this is what it felt like that the whole earth began to shake on his behalf for one reason. He called Jesus. He called the Lord. He called God and nobody else. He sent from above. He took me. He drew me out of many waters. He delivered me from my strong enemy, from those who hated me, for they were too strong for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity but the Lord was my support. Amen. And I'm telling you, that is the testimony of this church and this ministry in our lives. I will tell it to you with boldness standing right here on this platform today. How have we done anything in this life? The Lord has been our support. How do we go from just a couple of young kids married with, with not a lot? I mean, the Lord had blessed us with great uh, enough to get started. But I'm telling you, the only reason there's been any increase in our lives at all, because the Lord has been our support. Oh, yeah. And your rich grandparents, right? The Lord has been my support. Oh, well, you've got all these partners around the world. The Lord is my support. I refuse to give the glory to anything or anyone other than the Lord who is my support. Now, however he wants to do it, let him do it. But it's him who does it. No other man is your source. No other woman is your source. The Lord is your support. And if he's the one you call, guess what? The earth is about to shake. The mountains are about to tremble. There's going to be smoke. There's going to be fire. There's going to be lightning. There's going to be hailstones. Why? Because he's bringing you out. He's bringing you out. Out of 
not enough, out of lack, out of, out of shortage, out of poverty. He's bringing you out. And I don't care if you're looking around going, you know what, we're doing pretty good. There's more. There's more. There's more. Because he went to work day one, bringing you out bringing you out of something bad and into something good. But he didn't stop right there. He went to work right then, bringing you out of good into something better. Then what does he do? Just when you think it can't get any better, he starts bringing you out of better and into the best. And then you think, well, this has got to be it, right? I mean, this is more than we asked or thought. And he's like, no, 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 watch this. And he starts bringing you out of the best into in, into more than you could fathom, more than you could think, more than you could dream. And it just keeps getting better and better and better and greater and greater and greater. And no matter what state you are in, even if it is this state of abounding, I'm telling you this morning, and Sarah would attest to this, we're abounding more in our lives, in our ministry than we ever have before. But we're not done. We're not done. There's more. How do we get from where we are into more, into extra? Same call. Same call we made when there was not enough. Same call we made when it was tight. It's the same call. It gets worse. No, it gets better. He said in verse 18, they confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. Verse 19, you ready? Put that up there. He also brought me out. What's the next word? Into. So he didn't just bring you out. He brought you out so that he might bring you in to a broad place. That's wide. That's roomy. That's not straight. That's not restricted. That's not afflicted. This is the kind of place he's bringing you into a broad place. He delivered me because I did everything right. Because I checked all the boxes, huh? Because I didn't make any mistakes because, because I just did it perfectly. That's why he delivered me. No, he delivered me because he delights in me. He delights in me. Nothing pleases him like faith. Nothing. Well, how do I do that? How do I, how do I walk by faith in this time of tightness and distress? Call him. Pick up the phone. Call him. He delights in it. You say, Lord, father, daddy, rich daddy. I'm calling on you. I've got a need. It's tight right now, but I'm calling you. You know what he says? You called me. I'm just so blessed you called me. I'm just, I'm just so blessed you thought to call me. Anybody ever done that for you before? They, they, they needed prayer, they, something, and they, they, they thought of you. What's that do for you? Wow, you, you thought to call me. How much more? I said, how much more? Our Father, who art in heaven, I'm calling you. You are my first call. And however you lead me, whatever you lead me to do, you're my source. Nobody else and nothing else is my source. If you are willing to do that, just these couple of things we talked about today, putting a guard over your mouth, not talking the need all the time, and, and knowing who to call. If you will put those things into practice, I'm telling you, church, you're coming out. You're coming out. If it's been bad, you're coming out of that. And you're coming into good. If it's been good, you're coming out of that and into better. If it's better than it's ever been, you're coming out of that and into the best. You're coming out of that into more than you could ask, think, or imagine. Amen? Have a seat. This is the... Thank you, Lord. We're going to give today, but this is a Thanksgiving offering because he's brought us out. And no matter where you are, I, I guarantee you, you can look back and see and say, 
He's brought you out of something. Now, I know that there's more to go and there's things yet in front of you, but you can say it. You can attest to it. He's brought me out of something. I know he brought us out of some things. He brought us out of Texas. <laughs> Into the promised land. No offense to Texans. But, but this, this place really represented a lot to us and not just a change of scenery. It was something that was big in our hearts for a long time. And we could see ourselves here. And I know it's, it's a state. Uh, it's a physical state. Um, but there is such a thing as your wealthy place. It's the place where you prosper spirit, soul, and body. And I'm thankful you're here this morning because I believe it matters where you go to church. And I know that this isn't the place for everybody, but every one of us have a place we've been assigned to. Find it. Get in it. Because it's your wealthy place. It's the place where you prosper and thrive and it's broad and wide and roomy and not restricted. Amen? Thank you, Lord. Thank you so much for tuning in today. We hope you enjoyed this message. If you need someone to pray with you, there are several ways for you to contact us. Feel free to give us a call at 817-577-0180. You can also contact us through the Legacy Studios app or either of our websites. Giving options are available online at pearsonsministries.com and legacychurch.family. If you prefer, you can also text an offering. Simply text LEGACY in any dollar amount to the number 28950 and follow the prompts. Be blessed today. We love you. And remember, you are always welcome here in the house of faith.